0: Hey there, I'm Raji Sohal. Well, Vancouver has broken a new record in gas prices. Calibrate consultant Paul Pasco joined us to talk about what we can expect gas prices to do next. And Michel Gautier from the Canadian Garden Council came on the show to talk about exploring Canadian gardens this fall. But first, David Eby has shared a new sweeping strategy for housing called BC Builds. Could it really change affordability across the province? Here's my chat with CEO of the BC Co-op Housing Federation, Tom Armstrong. Let's talk housing. David Eby has promised some major changes if elected. Here's Jasmine Bula's report.
1: Eby's housing plan includes a new initiative called BC Builds that would be launched to fast-track the construction of affordable middle-class housing using government tools like fast approval and public land. Eby's plan would also see secondary suites legalized across the province and allow home builders in major urban centers to replace a single-family home with up to three units on the same footprint.
2: And We can't have cities that are opting out of housing. It's essential infrastructure. It's like... Uh, It's like electrical wires, it's like sewage. Uh, We can't have families that are forced and priced out of communities because the city is is not approving that housing.
1: Eby says he would provide $500 million through a new rental housing acquisition fund, allowing non-profit partners to buy and protect at-risk affordable rental housing. New tools would be put in place to crack down on speculators, including a flipping tax that would apply on the purchase of a residential property.
2: This tax will be aimed at very specifically taking the profit out of that transaction for short-term flippers.
1: The tax rate would go down the longer the property is held and phase out after two years. Before he made his announcement to run for party leadership, Eby was the minister responsible for housing. When asked where all of these ideas were during that time, this was his response.
2: I'm really proud of the work that I did as uh, as housing minister during the pandemic, but we know it's not good enough. And uh, we have an opportunity now uh, to deliver and to move upstream.
1: Anjaliya Potterai is the only other candidate challenging EB in the leadership race, but she has not yet officially been cleared to run. Jasmine Bala, Global News.
0: That was Global News reporter Jasmine Bala talking about the EB housing announcement. And joining me now to talk more about this is Tom Armstrong, CEO of the BC Co op Housing Federation. Good morning, Tom.
3: Good morning. How are you?
0: Great, Tom. Thanks for being with us so early on a Sunday morning. Listen, My you pleasure. you tweeted that the BC Builds proposal is a game changer. What do you mean by that?
3: Well, it, it it's really an all-hands-on-deck approach. If you look at the 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 scope and the reach of the strategy, it's a comprehensive proposal that engages everyone who's part of the housing ecosystem from municipal governments to nonprofits and co-ops to indigenous communities. To the private sector. So it recognizes that everyone has a role to play in, in getting a grip on this housing crisis and everyone has to contribute to a solution.
0: And what did you see there about co-op housing specifically that appeals to you?
3: Well, we're very excited to hear finally an announcement of the rental housing acquisition fund because we think that the, the loss of affordable rental housing uh, as it's purchased by real estate investment trusts and other uh, international investors has, has really hampered the ability of government to achieve its housing goals. So, you know, a, a very conservative estimate is that over the past few years, for every new affordable home we've been able to build under what everyone knows is a historic provincial investment, we've lost three. And this is older stock that's, that's very affordable to the tenants who currently live in it. And if we can see that stock move into the community housing sector, whether it's by a conversion to co-op, or being acquired by a nonprofit housing society or an indigenous housing society, this is going to be a key element in preserving affordability for the long term.
0: What about actual rent increase? Do we need to clamp down on that?
3: Well, you know the government has done a pretty balanced job to date in in regulating rent increases. You know where there might be some room to to build on that is is in the restrictions that could be placed on rents as properties become vacant—that's um, not in the housing policy, but it's a conversation that we think it's time uh, everyone had.
0: What else do you would you have liked to have seen in here?
3: Um, you know, <clears throat> when I when I said it was comprehensive, I, I really did have to struggle to find something that, that's missing. Now, of course, there's, there's not a budget attached to the strategy. Good point, Tom. We all know the devil is in the details there. Yes. But, you know, the, the, the government has made a historic investment um, beginning in, in 2017, that $7 billion over 10 years. Now, those numbers have been overtaken by the market, we know. Um, so this is a very, very ambitious plan, and it will need an equally ambitious budget allocation to support it.
0: Yeah. Now, we've heard about this pledge to override the municipalities in order to fast-track the affordable middle-class housing. How likely do you think that is?
3: Well, you know, it's an, as you look across the provincial landscape, you see that some municipalities have really stepped up and, and done their bit to promote the, the development of affordable uh, purpose-built rental housing, and others have really lagged behind. I mean, there are 30 municipalities uh, in the province that have not seen a single purpose-built rental unit uh, developed in their borders uh, over the last six years. And, you know, as as, the, uh, as David Eby said in his announcement, that's just unacceptable. You can't opt out of being part of a solution to the housing crisis.
0: So, and yet, Tom, you know, we are seeing some B.C. mayors really pushing hard against that. And they're, they're saying you can't override municipalities on land use and that if you are going to do that, they're threatening that this could spark a legal challenge.
3: Well, you know, let's see how that turns out. I mean, as I said, the municipalities who are who are pulling their weight don't have to worry about that override because they will already be achieving the targets that are set out in the housing needs studies. Although, you know, we all know there are some issues around the methodology used to develop those, those housing needs studies. But, you know, I think we have to ask ourselves, if you're a municipality who's saying we just don't see the need to be a partner, in making sure that the people who live and work here uh, can of, can afford to stay, uh, you know, I think that's that's something the government has to tackle, and I'm pleased to see it in the policy.
0: And David Eby saying that this proposal would level the playing field. How quickly do you think that would that affect actual supply?
3: Well, that's the big question, isn't it? The the you know the introduction of new supply is not an overnight uh, issue you can't just flip a switch and and you know new supply magically appears um permitting and approval processes have to change to accommodate uh the applications that are coming in from the private sector and the community housing sector um you know damping down um demand and 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 tweaking the rules around flipping and and, and speculation they, they it's going to take a little bit of time to see those impacts so but all that says uh, to, to me that, you know, it's time to get going. We, we need to get these uh, changes in place um, right away, uh, see how they ripple uh, through the market. And if it's not enough, we'll have to be prepared to do more.
0: One interesting thing about this proposal, I think, is that it's challenged some people to think ambitiously, that if even some of these nuts and bolts didn't actually pan out, folks are starting to think strategically differently.
3: Well you're absolutely right and and you know I've heard some people say um, that perhaps it's moving too quickly but you know I would say if, if if we're going to say that we're in the midst of a housing crisis let's act like it you know let, let's let's build on solutions that actually have a fighting chance of, of solving the problem and providing real affordable homes for people
0: all right Tom we'll have to leave it there thanks for joining us today my pleasure all right, folks, let's talk something slightly depressing, the Vancouver gas prices, because they have passed the all-time North American record of $239. Now, I filled the tank the other day, and it was over $150, so it actually hurt. It hurt to pay by credit, and I looked over my shoulder, everybody else paying for their gas at the same time looked just as depressed as I felt inside. Let's welcome Paul Pasco to the show. He's a consultant for Calibrate. Good morning, Paul Paul, morning, Raji. It's so good of you to join us. Thank you. All right, Paul. Let's talk about these gas prices. As high as two thirty nine a liter, it's practically unthinkable. They're, they're unbelievable numbers. Do we expect them to climb any higher? And can we expect some relief here?
4: I, I don't expect them to climb much higher. There is there is some opportunity for it, but I, you know, so far, I think. Prices should hold here for the next couple of days and and probably into the long weekend. I'm hoping to see some relief coming
0: out of the long weekend. Okay. Now, we've seen, Paul, that gas has been up a little bit across Canada. But can you explain why Vancouver has just been pummeled with the highest prices on the continent?
4: What happened in Vancouver is you guys have been high since mid or early August. And that's due to just refinery outages due to the wildfires and unplanned outages all along the western seaboard in the U.S. And so your prices stayed high in terms of relative price movements. The percentage increase since the beginning of September for Vancouver isn't worse than anywhere else. But you didn't see the relief that the rest of the country was seeing over the month of August.
0: I see. Okay, And then we understand that oil prices have fallen. So a lot of people are wondering if oil prices have fallen, why is the price of gasoline skyrocketing?
4: So we've got two factors at play there. When, when people talk about the price of oil, they're talking about a futures contract. So that's a, a contract to purchase some oil in October or November, not the actual cost to buy it today. So we've been seeing the difference between the futures price and the spot price has been growing, um, just because there is restricted supply um, on the, the overall crude front. But on top of that. With the refinery outages, because we don't just have the West Coast refinery outages, we have some major refineries still down in the Central Midwest as well. The the North America overall has lost some refining capacity. So, sixty eighty dollar oil before would have gotten us a different cash price than it does now, and it's just because there's not enough supply.
0: Okay, yeah, we had that summer of tight supply, and then the supply chain was taxed uh, with the wildfires. Now we do hear that you know, from economists that really high gas prices put economies at a standstill at a certain point. What price do you have to reach here before that's the case? Or is that not even um, a likelihood here?
4: I, I I think you may not see it brought to a standstill, but what I think you're going to see now, particularly in the lower mainland, is that decision of whether or not you have to make that trip and whether or not you have to buy that fuel. And, you know, you're going to see a lot more people budgeting and you know, only paying fifty or a hundred dollars each time at the pump versus, as I heard you say in the opening, hundred and fifty dollars to fill your entire tank. You're only going to buy what you need get through the next few days
0: it's true I have never thought about carpooling the way that I have in the last uh, month or so um, to the point where I'm thinking hey do I I really need to make that trip Um, of course a lot of people are looking forward now that uh, things are changing with arrive can app things have changed Um, and so people are headed to the states to get their gas of course that takes up gas too Um, and then what do we what is uniquely West Coast about our problem with gas prices
4: what you've got there is the western the western coast of the U.S. and Canada is on what's called the Pad 5 system, which was the, the petroleum districts that were set up in World War II. And that hub is located the furthest from the Gulf Coast. So all the crude comes down to the Gulf Coast. They do some refining down there, and then it ships back up to the west coast through a series of pipelines. So you have the longest possible travel route for the crude to get to market. So it's the most expensive for it to get there.
0: And as we move through this inflationary time and this like soft recession, can we look forward to things normalizing at some point or are we just dealing with expensive gas from here on out?
4: I think, I mean, not the record high prices, I wouldn't expect it to sustain there. But in and around the $2 mark, um, you know, in the West Coast, $1.80 to $1.70 in Alberta, is is really where I think the new norms might be moving towards? You know, maybe a dollar fifty, if we're lucky, a dollar seventy five on the coast. But the reality is, gas is going to continue to stay expensive. There's not a lot of new refinery capacity coming on. There are some expansions in the works, but there's no immediate relief on the supply front coming.
0: And do you think, Paul, this is going to drive people to uh, seek out EV vehicles more?
4: it It could and and that definitely would help the uh demand side of the problem, but i I don't think unfortunately, you know in my, in my mind, I don't see the overall cost of living maybe improving because it'll increase electricity demand, which which then drives the price of that up, so it's it's definitely a, a hard thing it It travel is expensive, and I think it'll drive people to decide whether or not they need to make a trip.
0: Okay, and yet some data has shown some consumer data has shown that people have not adapted their consumer behavior around the gas prices yet
4: there is There's only so much that you can do, I think you know yeah. you, you have to you have to drive to school, you have to drive for so work true. you know the trips you have to make and and so it's just the discretionary travel that starts to diminish, which is not a huge percentage,
0: yeah, when was the last time you heard about someone taking a really long uh cross country road trip, right?
4: No, that's exactly it. You don't hear of it often. And if it is, that that, that is probably a luxury that you've budgeted for it as well.
0: Yeah, Paul, thank you so much for being with us and explaining these numbers to us. No problem. Well, we have had some incredible weather for the start of our fall season. And now I love summer, obviously, but one thing we can all agree on is that BC is gorgeous when the leaves change color every fall. And here to talk to us more about how we can enjoy some of the most picturesque spots during those fall color blooms is Michel Gauthier, the executive director of the Canadian Garden Council. Bonjour, Michel.
5: Bonjour, Raji. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm great. It's okay. the year of the garden, apparently. So what does that mean?
5: Well, this means that, you know, 2022 is the centennial of the ornamental horticulture getting organized in this country. And and so that's a great moment where everybody came together. And so we were looking at how do we celebrate that? And we propose that 2022 be the year of the garden. And believe it or not, the Canadian government jumped in also. And so this is a time to celebrate our garden culture, to celebrate how gardens have contributed to the development of our country and to everyday life, and so that's the nature of this year of the garden. And a lot of communities have been involved. A lot of people in in BC have been involved with this. And you know, as you said, now is the fall and the colors are changing, and you have some beautiful gardens. And so we invite you know uh, the folks from BC to visit these gardens, and we also invite tourists that are in BC to visit these gardens.
0: Yeah, Michelle, I think a lot of people associate gardening with just the depths of summer. They think of July and August, but it's gorgeous out there still, isn't it?
5: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And and you know the beauty of a garden is it transforms itself with the season. And so now we're in that fall season. And so a lot of the plants change colors. You know we we have a plant here, and you know the the flowers are 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 beautiful white in the summer, and now you know they're beautiful pink. And I'm saying, whoa, you know what happened here? Well, that's the nature of of plants. They transform just like the maple will go from green to red. And so, you know, you might have been to a garden in the summer, but if you go back in the fall, it might look very differently.
0: Yeah. And I will do that. I just, I don't know the names of many plants and flowers, but I appreciate them uh, to no end. And your organization has this terrific website that showcases what it calls Canada's Garden Root Map. It's such a phenomenal resource. Tell uh, our listeners about it, please.
5: Well, you can go on Canada's dot ca and uh it will lead you to that site and and then, you know, depending where you are, you can put your location and uh where you are and indicate how many kilometers around you you want to know where are the gardens. So when I put in Vancouver, of course, I get Dr. Sun yat uh Classical Chinese Garden. I get the Bloedel Conservatory Garden. I get the Van Dusen Botanical Garden. I get the UBC Botanical Garden. But, you know, if you're traveling and you're going to go to uh, Toronto, then you can put, hey, Toronto, what are the gardens within... How many kilometers, or you know, uh, from Toronto, do you will you be traveling? So it's a tool to plan your trip and and to look at or or to plan your visit to the gardens in your own community uh, that you might not be aware of.
0: Yeah, and what else I like about this is that if you're planning a little road trip as what we're expecting in my household uh, to have some visitors from Hawaii over Thanksgiving and they wanted to get out and explore BC's fall colors and actually in anticipation of yours in my chat today, I sent the visitors this link and now they're mapping their road trip because they love foliage and one of them's an artist and a painter. And so they've now mapped their road trip around these beautiful gardens throughout BC so I just I love this resource so much and now I know the site covers all of Canada and we'll get into that in a moment but what are some of the highlights about BC that you can share with our listeners who, who are ready to go out on a little road trip and explore the nature a bit?
5: Well, certainly, you know, Vancouver has a rich garden culture, as really I was mentioning does. with Van Dusen and UBC Botanical Garden. And also, sometimes I invite people to, you might want to go to a garden center. Some of the garden centers have beautiful garden displays on.
0: Great tip. Um,
5: and, and that, you know, will really inspire you and give you that you know that uh, that opportunity to discover, and you know, visiting a garden is also part of therapy. Um, you know, and it takes you to another place, gives you a moment to relax, uh, gives you exercise, and and you know, and, and if you're an artist, like you said, you know, the inspiration is there. And and so yes, there are all the beautiful public gardens, but there are also historic sites uh, like the Fort Langley National Historic. Side has some beautiful heritage gardens that you might want to check out. And of course, if you cross over to Vancouver Island, well, then you know you have the Bouchard Gardens, but there are quite a few other gardens there on the island, like the Milner Garden or the Abkhazi a- 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 Garden and the Royal Roads uh, University—they uh, have beautiful gardens there also. So you are lucky in Vancouver, and of course your weather—you know—it's—it's it's even more pleasant in the fall to travel. Sometimes it, here, out I'm in eastern I'm in, in in Ontario, uh, sometimes it gets cool, uh, but the colors are beautiful. So it's a mix, right?
0: yeah absolutely and are the fall colors and their timing going to be affected a lot by this summer weather that we've been having in bc
5: well, I'm not sure like it's, you know, it 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 goes so quickly and you know and I'm I'm not in in BC and looking at this, but I know here in Ontario we were all worried that oh, well, the color the the changing of the color will be very much later, but I have to say we've just gone through maybe a week here of, of cooling down and wow, the colors just appear. I think they're just waiting. As soon as they get that signal, they go, "Wow, here we are." So, um I, it all depends on on the weather here every day and but as soon as it gets cool, the gardens do transform themselves.
0: I bet it's stunning. Hey, let's hear about your three favorite garden spots in the country. Go ahead and play favorites. I'll...
5: Oh, God, now you've got me. Come yeah. on. I hope my members <laughs> aren't listening
0: to this. <laughs> it's too early for them. Go on and share it with yeah, us. Yeah, that's
5: right. That's right, exactly. Well, I think, you know, uh, definitely, I don't know if you've heard about the Metis Garden. It's um, It's a. It's a it, it was created, a bit like Bouchard, it was, uh, uh, Elnore uh, referred, she she created this garden and they really developed it. And it's sitting in the middle of uh, Gaspé, their area, uh, Gran Metis, and and it's a great garden. And they also have an international garden festival there every year. So different artists from around the world uh, create installations in this garden. So that might be one that you're traveling out east, you might want to check. Um now another one that you know, of course, we have the the Royal Botanicals and and the Toronto Botanical, but but there's the Whistling Garden again, the passion of a couple that created this beautiful garden, um, and it's got huge collections. It's also got a vibrant animation. It's got fountains um, playing to music in the gardens. Wow. So Whistling Garden, if you're in Ontario. Uh, would certainly be another one that I would uh, invite people to, to visit. Um, and of course, well, then, if you go to BC, uh, where people are listening, I mean, all the gardens are beautiful there. They really and of are. course, you know, <laughs> worldwide, you know, I think Bouchard is, is the, the name it's that a people stunner. know.
0: It's a stunning restaurant. Yeah, it's uh
5: it's, it's a brand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right across right across the world. So you're lucky uh in BC to have that type of recognition for a garden.
0: Right. Michelle, thank you so much for your time this morning.
5: Thank you for the opportunity. And, you know, our our uh, theme for the year of the garden is live the garden life.
0: Oh, and love that.
5: Live the garden life. You know, if you visit a garden this fall, you're living the garden life. And we invite you to live the garden life and visit one of our beautiful gardens in Canada.
0: Lovely. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the weekend mornings with Raji Sohal Podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can listen to the show live on 980 CKNW from 6 to 9am every Sunday. Have a great week.